Shooting Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, and welcome to the show. Now this week, I just want to prepare you mentally for what you're about to hear, because this might be a spooky episode, and I know it's not a Halloween one, but I, I just want to get you in the right mindset, because I'm going to talk with, I believe, I, I may, I think I'm dubbing him this, but I'm going to call him the world's friendliest psychopath, Dr. James Fallon, uh, who's a neuroscientist at the University of Irvine, and He's been interviewed in a lot of different places. Uh, this interview, I'm not going to talk about any of the stuff that's already been retread. You can go to the website. I've linked to He's done The Moth, Ted, been interviewed everywhere. I'll give you, in brief, uh, a little bit about uh, Dr. Fallon. Uh, he's studied neuroscience, studied the minds of killers, uh, did a control study basically with his office staff and and the brains of serial serial killers. And he wanted to see like how under uh, EKG and under MRIs and how the brain actually works uh, when you're a psychopath and how it would compare to uh, a so-called normal brain, normal brain function. And so he got, uh, long story short, he got a couple of things mixed up and through this mix up discovered that he in fact had the brain of a psychopath, um, but wasn't killing people left and right. There wasn't a body count. And so this kind of sent him down a very interesting path, which he chronicled in a great book called The Psychopath Inside. Uh, I definitely recommend checking out that book. So, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff's been retread. He's talked about it. So I don't want to get into that stuff. This is a show that likes to blaze new trails. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him about all kinds of other stuff. But I want to give you just a little bit of background before we go into this. Uh, so hopefully I got everything right. If I didn't, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Anyway, Dr. James Fallon, it is an absolute honor and a thrill to have you on the show today. Well, you know, speaking of thrills, um, I mean, it's kind of a thrill here because we are sitting here. We're in 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 your beautiful house, um, in a locked door, um, and you're a known psychopath. Am I in any danger at all? Of course. That's why I'm being so nice right now. I got you both here. Uh, that's good. And I assume. So, what, what do you like? I mean, assume you people don't call you Jimmy because I'd get you confused with another famous. But um, you like Jimmy Jam? Do you like Jim? Do you like the foul? Well, the fall my, guy? when my the women in my family call me Jimmy, of course, you know the diminutive, and my <laughs> wife calls me other names. Right. But uh, my uh, one brother calls me Big Daddy or Thaddeus J. Whoopi. I mean, they have all these different <laughs> names. And um, can I call you Jim? It's Jim. Can I call you Thaddeus D. Whoopi? Because I Thaddeus I'm... J. Whoopi. I don't know where the hell he came up with that, but he's. A, uh, and so yeah, just just Jim. Okay, um, I'm going to call you Mr. Whoopi. Now, now, for for clarification's sake, is it psychopathy or psychopathy? I've seen Psy- it both. Psychopathy. It's psychopathy. That is the official. Pronunciation. That's a official pronunciation. Okay. I like to make sure. Um, And and what's kind of cool about you is in some ways, you know, as I've always kind of hinted at and I've I've heard other people say, you in a lot of ways give psychopaths a good name. I mean, you're kind of like the good psychopath. That's why they sent me here, yes. Yeah. I I think, you know, know, there's always a reason for your existence. uh, And usually it's to serve as a warning to others. But uh, in in this case, it is, 
you know, to uh, put it into the context mm. of other disorders and, and normative behavior. And, um, and also to separate the idea from this, this categorical stamp of, you know, you have this, you're this thing, right? You're a sociopath or a psychopath or you're a diabetic. These are categorical sorts of uh, nomenclature, but it's not the way we think about it medically or, you know, psychiatrically or psych in, any, in any way. And, and it's not useful. So we talk about traits and those traits are then put together like a taxonomy to, um, to give the name like psychopathy. But there's so much overlap uh, mm. with other similar disorders, you know, like especially the cluster B disorders, which are the really pernicious ones where you're basically a, a predator on other human beings. Mm. And so the narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, uh, antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy, and borderline, these are where most of the damage is done by this, these cluster B disorders and uh, other people. And so, but there's, if you do a Venn diagram of overlap with all the traits, they really overlap a lot. Hmm. I, I guess that's that's really interesting because there's also, you know, uh, the term sociopath gets thrown around. There's lots of, I feel like there's lots of names for the same thing. I mean, in, in kind of the way there's a million different religions to explain the same phenomenon in life, there's a million different ways to explain people who, right. who kind of fit outside what universally is considered the norm. So I guess that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Well, let me answer the question first in a, in a boring way, in a, in a numerical way. Okay. I, I, I went through all the uh, coding genes and then the regulators of genes and then the regulators of the regulators and these other things called transposons and all of the genetic and epigenetic components that not only provide you personality but pathology too. But if you look at all of these things, they they tell you how many different combinations, how many ways there are to be a human. Mm. And when I did that and did all these combinations, it, it came up to a, quite a number. It was, it was 10 to the 81st power. That's 10 with 81 wow. zeros behind it. Right. Now, when I looked at that number... And a mole is six times 10 to the 23rd, which is how many atoms are in a gram of whatever. That's so right. this is like... Well, when it came to me a week later, and I've seen this number, it turns out to be very close to the number of atoms in the universe. Okay. <laughs> so that old 60s thing, you know, like yeah. we are stardust. Right. It's kind of literally true. And it means that uh, there's never going to be another human ever, will ever be one like you. And um, well, and even, even identical twins are not identical at all, as it turns out. Can I, hold on. Can, let me ask you one quick question about that, because... You know, there's lots of different ways to make a human being, but they can't all be viable, right? I mean, like, even if you were to, you know, even when people do, like, permutations on statistics, you have to cancel out things that actually create the same thing in just a different order. Isn't there, I mean, there can't be that many different types of humans. There has to be only a certain amount that actually work, right? Does that make sense? Well, no, because there's so many gradations, it's like, you know, 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd, can there really be that many atoms? Well, literally there are. So... There are theoretically that, that number of combinations, and that doesn't really even include the pathological ones, right? The full, mm. you know, that, that is the lethal ones where you, you die. There need to be even more. So they, they don't live, uh, but you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between most of them. You know, there's still, right. you could still get into categories. And at some point, you know, when you're doing taxonomy of things, you go out in the back and you, you hear something flying around in, in that then you hear that something make a chirping sound, and then that something catches a moth. And then you go, what's, well, 
I've got these traits. It, mm. it must be a bird. And Well, no, it could be a bat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it could be a moth. Uh, not a moth, but it could yeah, be much a bigger bat. moth, right? A, yeah, yeah, a bigger, <laughs> bigger moth. Bigger like moth catching yeah. <laughs> cannibalistic moth. moth yeah. And so, you know, that's the trouble with taxonomy. Uh, now, if you go back to a, a more, I think, a pertinent answer, you say, well, how many of these monsters are there? Like, we have the psychopath, and then you said sociopath. Everybody's got these different sort of definitions, but they're quite two different things, and they're very different. And they should be different, both in terms of, of the idea of morality, good and evil, but also the law, and also uh, in, in terms of how you treat and what you can do with these people. So a primary psychopath, which is what we call a psychopath, is some key things are that they, uh, they don't have a sense of emotional empathy. They have a sense of cognitive empathy. They know what you're feeling. The problem is they use it against you. Uh, but they don't have a sense of emotional empathy. So when you're happy, they don't become happy. When you're sad, they're not sad. The emotional empathy is what people usually think of when they hear the term empathy. Mm. It's what you want in your best friend, what you want in your, your husband or wife. You know, it's that warm, fuzzy sort of connectivity. It's almost spiritual in nature. But um, a lot of people are wired that way. They have cognitive empathy, even, and even though they seem colder. A lot of times, each of the people actually do things for you. So if you look at the, you know, any trends of illimacinary, that is charity, it turns out that the people who give the most are people with cognitive empathy, not emotional empathy. Hmm. Emotional empathy will cry with you, but they don't do much for people, as it turns out. As much as somebody with cognitive empathy who is, um, you know, somebody like uh, Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Mandela, you know, that, this, this a tremendous sort of cognitive empathy, mm. but you didn't want to be their daughter. And we heard right. Mandela's daughter say this. This is a great man. You don't right. want to be his daughter. Same thing with all of those, the relationships of those other the people I mentioned. So these great people, in fact, have very little emotional empathy. Yeah. Uh, but they do great things. So they, there's all different uh, types of that. But the other thing that a psychopath has, because there's nothing pathological by having cognitive empathy. It's just one of their traits. Uh, and how they use it is what is pathological. But also, uh, they, they have no sense of moral reasoning. And they know that you think what they're doing is morally wrong. It's not that they don't understand that society and moral, but they don't feel it themselves. And so they consider some of these heinous acts a lot like a traffic ticket or stealing your way into you know, a, 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 a driving lane, mm. something minor. And so they know it's kind of, well, it's probably bad, but they don't feel it like you do, like this raw sort of internal sense of morality. And and this has been a key thing in the last, I would say, 15 years, which is the understanding of it's a very fundamental question that goes back to Plato uh, and Aristotle. And in this idea is the one thing, are we born a blank slate? That is, are we tabula rasa? We're born with nothing and and, and then environment, family, religion, well, they, they add on who you are. And the other thing was Plato's idea, which is, is basically that, no, you're born with ideas already in your head, right? So Aristotle said, no, you're, you're born tabula rasa. Plato goes, no. It turns out from modern neuroscience and biological psychiatry, we now know that Plato was correct. So all these ideas since then that have to do with French humanism, et cetera, everybody's born a good boy and a good girl. It's not, it's not really true. 
and and people are are people are born with um, a fundamental sense of morality too if if they develop correctly that is without being abused and so in in a in a psychopath and that is somebody who's wired genetically for these traits but also has either been abandoned at birth or in the or abused in the first two or three years of life that then sets the regulation of those genes so that they're always on or off and and the behaviors that ensue from those combination of genes that do that are considered antisocial now a person who's a true primary psychopath doesn't have the sense of this morality so in every sense of the word they, you know if you if you look at all abrahamic religions in fact all religions of the world east and west the morality is is based on the fact that you know it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't think something's wrong, it's not wrong. It may, and so they don't have that. Therefore, in a sense, they're not morally or legally culpable for what they're doing, even though they understand they understand everybody thinks it's wrong, but they don't. They don't. And therefore, it's not immoral. So there's that. A sociopath, on the other hand, uh, is somebody that. They may be genetically wired, but they weren't abused, or they were abused later in life. They were bullied at seven, ten years old. So these are people that have not been epigenetically fixed into the set epigenome that determines their personality traits forever. Uh, and it may happen later, you know, like when they're bullied when they're ten years old, or something happens, some traumatic thing happens to their family that they see, or some street violence. And in this case, you end up with somebody who's a sociopath, which is basically, for the most part, these are people who are the, the losers, right? Or they, they feel themselves as losers, and they're trying to get even with the world. And usually a specific part of the world, that is a specific people who abuse them. So you, you, you find sociopaths will go around killing a certain kind of, let's say, um, a, a, a girl with brown hair with a, with a split in the middle, and it, it turns out to be the girl who traumatized her by saying mm -hmm. by saying no to him uh, for a kiss when he was nine or something. Right. And so they're getting even with very specific types of people or groups of people or a look. Mm -hmm. That's a sociopath. Now, sociopaths and psychopaths can do the same exact thing, but they do it for different reasons internally mm -hmm. uh, in, in their in their in their brain. And this is a key difference. Legally, morally, and and how you treat them, you know, can you fix them? And you know, it turns out nobody's really shown that you can permanently fix a psychopath yet. Sociopaths that are not wired that way, well, they you can they can some of them can be behaviorally modified back to being okay. Hmm. So you know, it's a it's it's a they're very different things. So even though people use the terms psychopath and sociopath, oh, they're about the same thing. They're not at all. Hmm. Uh, and even if you don't use those terms, there are two critters. Right. I don't yeah. care. You can call them A and B. Right. And so that's a very key difference to understanding all of these. And also understanding uh, the, the other part about this, which is the idea of being a narcissist versus narcissistic personality disorder. Uh -huh. It's one thing to be antisocial versus antisocial personality disorder. Right. Uh, and I think most people would probably understand it in terms of obsessions. So some people are obsessive compulsive. Uh -huh. And it's one of these, not personality disorders, it's one of these traits that you can grow out of when you get older. Mm. And, and, and it become very handy. So people with, uh, with obsessions or compulsions when they're 8, 10, 15, 20 years old, 
they, they kind of go away, but uh, often people will hold on to part of it. So these are the people that always complete a job. It really mm. works for their careers. Right. They're very exacting and, and they get jobs done. Yeah. And people who are very successful in business, A, B, C, D, and get things done, uh, they had, you know, some had OCD. And, yeah. and we had done a study, and I think you may have seen it on CNN a few years ago and, and Today Show and everything. And we studied people with perfect memory autobiographical memory and mm. uh, it was great because one of them was uh, one of our heartthrobs from back in the 70s Mary Lou Hannah yeah she's like classically has like a, an incredible memory yeah like, photo, so, but she was one of the 12 13 people so I was brought in to look at this what's the circuitry and I said don't tell me who these people are what their normals are not so I went through the MRIs and all the anatomy don't you call them normies no, well, yeah, normies yeah. <laughs> no that would be Norman that's right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and anyway so um when I was looking at it, I said, I got a group here. I've got 12 people here. And do they have obsessive compulsive disorder? They said, yeah, every one of them except one. So part of their memory, because uh, I know the pathways of OCD, two little dots I could see. Yeah. And people with OCD all have that. So that's one thing. And they had other things that have to do with connecting memory-related areas, the hippocampus, et cetera. So at any rate, um, but one of the differences between just having a disorder versus a personality disorder is people with OCD know that they're having crazy thoughts. Mm -hmm. The people with the personality disorder believe them. Hmm. Like it's okay. So, but so this, that's a huge difference. But that's the fundamental difference kind of between what you're, with everything that you're saying is whether you believe one thing or whether you don't know what's going on. Um, but that's a, that's a fundamental difference. Right. I mean, because what what makes this topic so interesting to me is I'm pretty convinced that I was my stepdad was either either a psychopath or a sociopath. Right. He was definitely one of the two. Um, but you know, similar. I don't want to say similar to you because I don't know you at all. But I mean, similar in that I don't think he was like I'm his grand his mother. I still consider to be my grandmother. It's a wonderful human being, you know, loving, and I'm sure he was raised in that type of home, so he didn't become a killer or anything like that. wasn't abused. But it's interesting to know that like I don't I don't feel crazy for thinking that and seeing all the things you're talking about appear in a man that I was that I knew, yeah. and I think that. What it kind of did is it sparked this belief that, you know, in this world, we kind of believe that psychopaths are very limited and they're very rare. And it's like, well, the killers that get caught are very rare considering the number of people on the planet. Yeah. But the number of psychopaths that exist that have this type of behavior you're talking about that aren't toxic or really dangerous to other people, that percentage is extraordinarily high. And I would say... Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that they are probably in extremely high positions of power that require cold, calculated decisions. I'm sure there's tons in politics, and I'm not making a joke there, but I'm sure that there's tons in politics, tons at high levels of finance, business, where you can't have feelings for people to do the job you need to do. Yeah, that's, is this pretty accurate? Well, the traits become very useful and important. Extraordinarily useful. As opposed useful. to being a categorical psychopath or narcissist, uh, that's different than having the traits, because a lot of people are borderline. So if you just have people who don't add up in the points mm. to being a categorical, clinical psychopath or narcissistic personality disorder, et cetera, uh, people still, a lot of people have some of the traits. Some have none of the traits, but a lot of people have enough of the traits, uh, but you find out they're very useful traits, and people, mm -hmm. we, we vote for these traits. Mm -hmm. we, we want them as our financial advisors. We want them to be CEOs. They want, we want them to be presidents and senators. Or to be soldiers or to be exactly. football players. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they, we want it to, be, to protect us, mm -hmm. to be aggressive, to go get money for me. Don't, just don't tell me how you did it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really 
the usefulness of these traits throughout history and throughout every every culture uh, is is probably because they're very useful and they they these people do things that other people won't do. Mm-hmm. They've got you know oftentimes a lot of balls and but they they take chances but they're very good at the, taking the right chances. Right. So it's not that they just do crazy things. They they do things beyond what the average person would do and they win. Right. And so we like that. People like that. Now if we go if we, if you look at people who um, let's say. CEOs of large corporations. There's almost no, n- none of them have uh, psychopathy or NPD or any of those things. Is that true? None of them do. None of them? None of them. Where you find What about it, the woman who was going to charge $700 for an EpiPen? It's got to be a psychopath. That's not a psychopath. That's got to be, you, that's crazy to me. That, that, that seems, how is that not a psychopath? It's it's part of business. It's just business. Just business. Yeah, letting kids die, not caring no, about no, that. No, because they're not. The kids are not going to pay. You know, there's all sorts of reasons you can come up with. But where you find it, huh. where you find the real psychopaths and NPD are CEOs of startup companies, and the perfect one was the Wolf of Wall Street, hmm. and that's where you find these people. But in large corporations, you don't find it. Probably the the best example of a psychopath was Casanova. He didn't kill or rape anybody, but he manipulated people. And mm. he's got, I've got his three-volume set. If you read that, it's about 3,000 pages right. of all the things he did. And he was a, he's a classic Klecklian, what's called the Klecklian, because Klecklian in the 40s really wrote the first book about the psychiatry of uh, psychopathy. That and Machiavelli, I would imagine, since it's all named after well, him. Well, Machiavellians to... are different, because Machiavellians in everyday life are fine. But when they're doing their job, they become what apparently mm. seems evil. That's a Machiavellian one. Okay. But in everyday life, they're f- perfectly okay. Right. They're moral people. So they dichotomize their behavior according to their life. And so that's not really psychopathy. Hmm. Now, the, uh, the the other thing is, you know, because I always get asked to analyze, like, politicians. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I did at PutinCon in New York, I, I gave a talk on it. PutinCon? It was Putin con, so I had to do the brain. Like Vladimir of Putin. Putin con. So we had all these dissidents and on all these people who, uh, you know, know him or know of him, and we had a meeting in uh, in Hell's Kitchen. So it was funny to hear Hell's Kitchen because it's such a pan- sure, pansy yeah. place. Now, you know, right? So, yeah. Um, and and uh, also in Oslo, and and also I've given talks in Ukraine and and through Europe and London, etc., on different. Dictators, but it includes you know modern politicians. It's like what makes up the if you take the behaviors, what makes what would the brain look like? Now it's all guesswork because, in fact, you you can't look at somebody, any politician or any leader, or anything, uh, and and make a guess as to, is that a sociopath or psychopath or personality disorder? Because unless an expert psychiatrist or psychologist in personality disorders interviews them and does testing over a couple of days, you never really know. You can't do it by looking at them on TV or listening to them. And they're not going to sit for a PT scan or an MRI or anything. Well, they, they they won't, but I've got some interesting people lined up who are like, you know, the, who may do this. Like huh. the, the, the butcher of Belgrade. He's the first guy since the, the Nazis were, you know, set up in The Hague. So wow. working with his attorneys. You really can't do that because you don't know, for example, if they're a sociopath or a psychopath unless you understand what they think about what they're doing. Right, yeah. So that's, and it's a, huh. it's a main difference because if they don't, that means they're not culpable. If they do, it means that it's the closest thing to evil, right? But can you check that without them saying yes or no? No. So that's You've got to get totally... there, okay? So this is why it's never done. All right. And in fact, this was tried by, by a group back in 1968 with Goldwater. 
ran for president, and a group of Democrat uh, psychologists got together and, and deemed him unfit for service because mm-hmm. it was just purely a political thing. So they have the American Psychiatric Association in from 68 on has the, the Goldwater Rule. Mm-hmm. So anytime you hear a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they just did it with Trump, right? Mm-hmm. This group from Yale, these young psychologists who just hated Trump, and they said, we deem him to be, you know, an, really evil or something like this. And you can't do it. Right. You can't do it really. It's not that it's just unethical. You practically can't do it. Right. So these are all guesses. And so um, if you look at, but if you try to do it anyway, if you assume that what you see is what you get. Yeah. So people who really knew and know the whole history of American presidents, the biographers, so they went through all these checklists and the checklists were for all the different presidents they were expert on, you know, what they really had. And these were people who really knew more than anybody, still not psychiatrists, but nonetheless. And it turns out that there is a whole range of our presidents. And uh, when they first did it, because you can't do it on ones that have not lived past their presidency, because you don't know when they were lying, really, or, or anything. Hmm. But up until that point... The number one was Teddy Roosevelt, the number one who had the most psychopathic traits. Very close up there was FDR and JFK, they were very high, hmm. and Bill Clinton. The, the one who scored just about the lowest was... Uh, Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> All right. Yeah, All right? Good. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, Calvin Coolidge, right. But also, you know, people like Jimmy Carter, but yeah. like George Bush Sr., very low in psychopathy. Huh. George Bush Jr., higher. I mean, he didn't go as high as Bill Clinton. Dubs was higher than, was not as high as Clinton, but but higher than his dad. Yeah, yeah, his, his dad was like a complete mensch in terms of psychopathy. Yeah, almost no really? psychopathic tra- Yeah, amazing. Huh. Um, but anyway, they're ranked. But then the more interesting part of it is when these were correlated against how people perceived them, the average voter. Yeah. It, it, it correlates perfectly with their attractiveness as a candidate. And so it's what people want. So when they said, who has got charisma? Who has got leadership skills? So it correlates with leadership skills. This is why these people get uh, elected all the time. And I gave a a talk uh, at uh, this international financial group uh, at Aspen. And I was talking about the profiles of different personalities of different uh, politicians. I thought they'd like that in financial people. And... And and Joe Lieberman was the chairman of the board, and he's a cool guy, right? He's a and he, uh, well, cool mean like a nice guy. He's definitely not cool. No, he's a nice guy, cool guy. Yeah. Somebody like me, he's like a yeah, he's a nice guy and everything, yeah. very fun. But after the talk, he came up and he goes, "Now I understand why I vote for assholes all the time." <laughs> and he was, he was very you know frank about it. Yeah. But in that talk, and I gave it in terms of uh, uh, both of the personalities of all the candidates, and this was back in early 2016 or middle of 2016 and I I just went through all the traits and then through empathy types whether Mm -hmm. people have in-group or out-group empathy you know what percent of the population had uh, that and if the population's under stress they will always snap back to their basic pattern so people who have in-group empathy will always under stress will always vote for whoever gets their family the most money Mm -hmm. or the safest so this is when people, when things are under stress, they will really snap back to their wired personality, part of which is the type of empathy. When they're not under stress, they will go outside that box and they'll start voting for, oh, I'm going to do what's good for the country as opposed to just what's good for my family, et cetera. But I tried to get all these indices, and it was at a time, it was in the summer, 
And, and Trump was down by about 20 points. And I said, based on the analysis of empathy, of different kinds of empathy, and the personality types, and, and, and this idea of charisma and everything, I said, Trump is going to win this election. And of course, they all laughed on there. But and, you know, some, right. but a couple of them got back to me and said, how would you know this? I said, I didn't. I just was looking at you know, the, kind of the psychiatric uh, behavioral profiles of them. And yeah. you're able to guess these things. But in, in, so if you look at it that way, uh, it, and I didn't vote for Trump. I mean, yeah. I've never voted for a Republican, in fact. But in looking at it, you know, sort of honestly, and people who can really uh, analyze these things, probably the president we had with the most psychopathic uh, characteristics is, is Bill Clinton by far. Hmm. He really has got them all. And people always, you know, a lot of people want it to be Trump. But no psychopath ever talks like Trump. Well, it just depends on what president's in office. Right. I mean, that's who they want to no, be. No, but psychopath. the personality traits of somebody. Yeah, you don't get somebody who's going, who's pissing you off all the time. Trump right. pisses people off. Psychopaths yeah. don't do that. They go, "I love you, baby. I love you." Do right, that. right. They're all sweet talkers. Yeah. So there's never been a psychopath ever who talks like a Donald Trump. Yeah. Or even somebody who's really manipulative because he gets such blowback. Right. That doesn't mean he's not a, a, a jerk. You know, you don't have to like him. But yeah. people like you know, like Obama, everybody loves you know. Those are the people because when they walk in the door, they have this group of psychiatric traits or personality traits yeah. that are called factor one in psychopathy. Mm -hmm. And it's called fearless dominance. Mm -hmm. So there's all these traits of being glib, um, very talkative, manipulative, charming, all these things are part of the type one factors, traits within uh, psychopathy. And, but they're called fearless dominance and in to basically it's charisma. Yeah. So when somebody walks through a door and they got that light around them of charisma, they say, I want that to be present. Yeah. You know, Obama has it. Uh, I mean, or uh, actors. I mean, you're talking about actors. actors. People oh, walk it's not in just with politicians. The, yeah. Absolutely. And that's it. And and people universally. So the, wait, the, so the it factor, like when people say they got the it factor, yeah. that's psychopathy. It's fearless dominance. <laughs> and all those, yeah, it's psychopathy. Right. So, you know, it's it, people say, well, how do we get rid of these monsters? Well, the monster's in us. Yeah. So you asked me in the beginning, what are you, you know, what, why, why would you talk about this? You know, you're trying to make them seem okay. Well, not so much as uh, making people understand that the average person chooses these people. Mm -hmm. They vote for them. They find people who are ruthless to get them more money, power, protection, and everything. So, I mean, we're all part of it. Yeah. In that now, sense. I, I did say, I said, you're giving them a good name. I didn't say, why do you talk about this? I said, you're giving psychopaths a good <laughs> okay. name. That's yeah. what I said. Now, now, now let me ask you That's this. Not so much giving a good name as giving everybody else a bad name. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever normalizes it. Um, now, w one of the things I want to do, because I think, you know, I'm going to give you some kind of popular examples of this stuff, because I think... We're, as a culture, really fascinated with this type of stuff, but psychopaths that exist that aren't the killing type, right? So, for example... Which most, all of them. Right, yeah, right, yeah. There's very few psychopathic killers. But, like, America. like for example, everyone loves Batman. Batman is 100% a psychopath. Yeah. And what's interesting is his, you know, one of the big themes uh, in Batman is his connection to the Joker and how they're really two sides of the same coin. They explode yep. this in the movies, they explode this in the comic books. They're both psychopaths, but they both are on different sides of the law, but are both ruthless and without, you know, Bruce Wayne's well, obviously like charming. Lecter, Hannibal mm. Lecter and Will, you know, from Manhunter, right. the first one. Yeah. And they're both psychopaths. Right. And the one is able to overcome this. Yeah. And the other is, acts it out. Right. But they both know they're the same thing. That's why Hannibal Lecter's going, I'm you, you know that, and he knows that. Yeah. Which is interesting. My wife and I 
uh, saw that movie when it first came out back in the 80s. And you do have a wife, despite your psychopathy. Well, theoretically. Right. We don't see her around, but theoretically, <laughs> there are signs right. of her. There are signs of her. I've seen Psycho, so is she upstairs in a rocking chair and a skull with, <laughs> yeah, right. skull with a wig on? Yeah. You go see her next. <laughs> real monster. Right. But after we saw that, she said something curious, because it's back in the 80s before any of this stuff. This is oh. 25 years before this whole... Jim the psychopath bullshit started. Mm. It's not really bullshit, but you know that yeah. whole thing, and yeah. um, which you started. And we were watching, which well, no, I claim to be a normal guy. It was yeah. it, then it came and hit me, uh, kicking and screaming actually. But yeah, and we're watching the movie. She goes, "That's you." I said, "Hannibal Electric." She goes, "No, Will." I said, "You're like one of these guys who on the outside is a really good guy, sweet guy, yeah. but inside you're completely psychopathic." It was very interesting. Yeah, she didn't use the word psychopathic. She's had a bad guy inside. And yeah. It, but apparently good. So uh, these pairings, uh, you, you'll you you'll get, even in criminals, matched up real criminals. Mm -hmm. So you get like uh, Charlie Manson is the real psychopath, and he surrounded by, gathered up all the losers mm -hmm. trying to get even with society. Yeah. They tried to make these kids seem like they were normal, you know, kids from the suburb. They weren't they at all. These were really pissed off uh, sociopathic people. But that's a pairing. Uh, but also the Beltway Sniper. The older guy mm -hmm. was... That's uh, why the Washington Bullets are now called the Washington Wizards. That's the reason why, right? Those two guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Sniper. And, and a, a friend of mine area. who was a, a BAU guy, uh, Jim Clemente, is the f guy who figured it out. It oh, wow. one of these things. Yeah, Jim Clemente figured it out because they couldn't figure it. Nobody could quite get it. He was an FBI BAU guy, and at the time he was looking where... The hounds weren't baying. You know, it's like the old uh -huh. thing is, don't look for the signal. Where is it quiet? And then he, that's yeah. how he found it. Very clever guy. Uh, but there's a case where the older guy is a psychopath, the young kid is a loser, sociopath, and he, he manipulates them. Uh -huh. and a lot of times with female so psychopaths, you get the female will manipulate a young loser mm -hmm. to do the killing. They're very, mm -hmm. So the woman doesn't look like a psychopath, but she actually is a psychopath. Right. She's not, she doesn't pull the trigger or use a knife, right. really. But she's still a psychopath. Um, Which is so what, with, with Charles Manson, that's what I always found is so weird, and I tell everyone, he didn't kill anyone, that's right. and yet he spent, you know, four or 50 years out of his 70 years in, and, and in that, prison. That changed a lot of things because it really showed the how psychopaths work. Psychopaths manipulate other people to do a lot of their killing and hurting and harming for them. Yeah. Now let me ask you another question. I'm sure you get this a lot. Obviously the character of Dexter is super popular. Yeah. And is that is that even possible? Like it's an interesting show. Yeah. You know, we can, you know, it's, this isn't a show about pop culture, but uh, a couple seasons kind of stunk. But overall, an interesting idea. Yeah. Is it possible to train a killer to only kill like <laughs> the bad guys? Um, no, actually, Dad, I never had that question before. Is that no? no, I'm, no, no, I'm, no I'm sure it happens all the time. The, uh, I was writing a book and, and didn't see that it, whole series, and I came back and just blasted through all of them, mm -hmm. and I really liked it. The, the problem with Dexter is he's not a psychopath because anybody who has that level of caring, right, and that's what by I definition thought. can't be a psychopath, right. And and I I, I I was on a panel with Brian Cranston, Breaking Bad after they finished that, which is a great series, and also uh, Winter, who was the showrunner and writer for uh, the. What was it? The uh, Boardwalk Empire. Mm. He did some Sopranos episodes, and he was raised as a you know he was trained as an attorney, but he had a real sense of people in psychiatry. Mm. So I talked to them beforehand for about an hour in the green room, and then we we, we did a, a panel uh, at uh, Tribeca Film Festival, 
and I told him, I said, you know, and I said to Brian Cranston, he was very good about it, I said, none of these people are real, real psychiatric people. They're, they're, just, they're just false. There's nobody like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is a great show. It's a great act. I loved it. But I said, these are all false characters. Right. Because in order, a true psychopath, you cannot get somebody to bond to. The audience will reject it. It's, it's, it's falling in love with a, with, a, with, a, with a white shark, just a predator. Yeah. So they have to give him this charm and inside he's a good boy. It's, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not true. Right. But people won't connect with somebody unless there's some center of good in them. Right. And there is no center of good. There's yeah. nobody home and a psychopath. Right. So what they have to do is tart it up. Right. So they make it like a Dexter or like or Batman, Breaking Dan or Batman. Yeah. Oh, really inside he's got that glimmer of good. Yeah. Forget it. They yeah. don't have that. Yeah. And so, and, and it's true for other psychiatric characters. So I work with writers, hmm. uh, TV and film writers. I'm working on two shows right now, two different shows. As an advisor, to because they always create these false characters that are psychiatrically impossible and part of the problem is they don't have the time to develop all these different characters. Mm-hmm. So they end up with somebody, it's like saying, I got a character who's like really fat. He's a fat, thin guy. Mm-hmm. He's really like a really good evil guy. Right. And he's like, this right. st- so tall, he's this tall, short guy. Right. And they have all these things that don't exist together in a right. human brain. Right. And so, but they don't have the time usually in a show to develop it. So they do these shortcuts hoping that nobody will catch on. Well, um, National Academy of Sciences, but also a group in, in Hollywood uh, of the writers and at these film festivals. I, I go up to Sundance and to give them kind of lessons on it so they can make it more real. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with the proviso, I understand that... It's not a history, it's not a documentary, most of these shows. That's know? right. Yeah. And to make them interesting, it, it becomes, they just become false characters. Right. And that's what, I mean, that's kind of what I figured, which is why this, this type of thing can't exist. Uh, you know, I just finished the TV show The Punisher, which is really good, but Frank Castle is a psychopath as well, but he also has this connection to his family, um, you know, and it's it's these things that where you have to, otherwise they're just killing people, that's you right. know? Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what I was getting at before with these two sides of the same coin with a lot of these pop culture examples, is they are are the good people kind of doling out justice in the world. And I think, you know, it's funny, and we're going to get into some weird topic here in a second, because one of the things that really resonated with me when you were talking, uh, when you are talking, I've watched a bunch of your interviews, you talk about this, this, you know, you're a nice guy on the outside, but one of the strange things about you is this, you have this streak where you always get even with people, okay. this revenge streak. And I found that fascinating, and I'll tell you why. Uh, maybe the, this, hopefully this doesn't qualify me as a psychopath, but we live in a world that's kind of sold to us as being just. And in mm-hmm. truth, there's no justice. There's no real right. justice in the world yeah. at all. It's a it's a lie we've all been told. Forget about speedy trial. If you're rich, good-looking, and you can manipulate the system, you're going to get away with stuff. And if you're poor and ugly and of the wrong ethnicity, yeah. you're done for. That's right. it, right? And and you know, there's people who have wronged me, mm-hmm. and I would I, I I hang on to stuff like that. There are people mm-hmm. I would love to get revenge on. And when you said I make sure they always get it, in some weird way. Uh, I wish I had those traits. I wish I was smart enough to get back at people that have really, really wronged me. And I care about people too much, and sometimes I wish that I didn't. Those are the useful traits that I think some people could really, it kind of hampers like success. It may deter, it may, it may, you know, it may hamper your, it, being disconnected from people, mm-hmm. probably it affects your personal relationships. But in everything else, I imagine it's a huge advantage. 
Well, yeah, I, th I think there is a, uh, to me, a morality to it. I never get even more than the measure that I was given. And that's what's so cool you about know? it is it's like it's, you're doling out this level of justice that's exactly that the what... world stole from you. And you're like, well, I can make this right. Yeah. Here's how. And I, I know there's this guy who didn't want to mess with me. He didn't like my politics or something like that. And he was trying to get to me. And he finally said, look, I, I know your colleagues. And he said, don't, don't, you shouldn't mess with them because they'll get you. Yeah, it'll it may happen in five years, three years. I'm very patient. Yeah, uh, but I, I I don't try to involve their family or something. But something happens where they'll know it down the line, right. and, and it's just so. Uh, the thing is, I really don't get mad, you know, yeah. and so I'm able to um, to wait for the right time and everything. They can never quite trace where it happened. Yeah, but something falls apart in their life, and it, they'll look around and they'll say, "Oh, okay, that just happened." So yeah. Thaddeus J. Whoopi. Thaddeus J. Whoopi, right. Yeah. And, um, do, you, but do you like people to know that it was you? Do you have that like... No, that, it's not necessary, but they, uh, they'll, they'll have... Because they're doing it to other people, too. Yeah. I want them to say, this is karma, man. This is, I'm, this is Every time I did it to somebody, I'm going to get it. Oh, so you're way better than... See, even as a psychopath, you're way better than I am. Because I would want that person to know, I got you, man. No, I, it's, it's, it's actually not like important that. at all, no. Really? So, not no. important? No. That's amazing. Just justice. You have so many traits that I wish... That <laughs> 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 these, are, these are great. Um, now, how does... How, you know, truthfully... And I don't know how well you can answer this, but this truthfully, is... Truthfully, I've been truthful. You have, you've been extraordinarily truthful, <laughs> but this is kind of personal. How does... How do you develop relationships with your kids and with your wife? Uh, I mean, you've known, you know, your wife since 12 mm -hmm. years old, right? How how does that exist if you you know I'm looking at the I'm looking at a wall here this adorable dog that you've made a mm -hmm. connection with how does that work if you can't really connect with these well it's things? been a, it's been and you consider them things or it's, people I consider them people but yeah. I see I didn't know the level of connectivity and of course it's upset my wife and my, I think my kids and grandkids know I love them you know mm -hmm. but the, you the thing, think that they know you love I them think, yeah. I think that they, they know because they they, they they hang around we, we, we I mean we do things together and all, almost all the people I know have stuck with me mm -hmm. they still want to hang around with me right? yeah and including people you know very close my whole family does and so I probably have held on to more old friends and close friends mm -hmm. than a lot of people I know Hmm. Uh, I think part of it is because I know a lot of really interesting people, mm -hmm. so they like to be around it. Yeah. So they come over to the house. There'll be some remarkable person here, just because I know a lot of people. Yeah. For many different reasons, because of my work and other things. Oh, like so, what's happening right now? If someone were to come in and see me interviewing you, God knows the line that would be out the door wanting to take pictures with us. Yeah. Well, that does that does happen actually, but I yeah. I, I never say what's going on. Yeah. But but um. And so they know there's a proviso, and my, my grandchildren know. Before I wrote the book, I, I talked to, you know, my wife and my kids and my family. I said, this is not going to be, like, fun. But, and I told them what the, the point was and how it might help people, because they said, well, you're a professor, you teach, you can, being that close within inside of you, but also outside enough to be able to talk about it with some objectivity, this would maybe help people. So they all said yes, knowing that there would be a bit of potential pain involved. Uh, the, the pain, not so much what I do, but you know, wondering does the, does my father really love me and everything. But I think if you ask my kids, they're going to say this guy really loves me. Mm -hmm. And if you ask my wife, she'll you know she still goes back and forth. She goes in your book, you said uh, <laughs> that you never really connected with me. And I said, well, I said you're not listening to the other shoe falling and all these 
yeah. one of your interviews because yeah. the wife hears that and then we that's then the hear anything it. else. No, that's I the said, end of go it. Go back yeah. and listen to these things. Now's the time to and, set the record straight. Well, and I, and I have to remind her. I said, the point is that I always thought there's nobody that could love a wife, a woman, or kids like I do. I thought was, there's nobody that could love anybody much as I did. Mm. And then when this, when I found my brain scans, my genetics, and then this thing kind of started to um, roll out, you know, back in 2000, mostly after 2009, so nine years ago, when it started to roll out, and, and I started to wonder, I said, you know, that's when I asked people, tell me what you really think of me, and, and all these things, and they all started telling me the truth, and it wasn't all wonderful at all. Because I thought I was completely normal and just a great, wonderful guy. And that's a lot of the f feedback. So people, you know, you pick up on these things. And you don't say, ask oh, a question me. you don't want to know the answer to is another moral yeah, story. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I said, no, you really got it. I'm not going to be pissed off or anything. Cause, yeah. And, and, um, and, and so, but part of it, the follow-up the follow through it, the way I came to the conclusion that I don't love people like uh, somebody would love their wife or their kids or... or is because I looked at my friends in the same position as me, that mm -hmm. kids and grandkids, and the, how they sacrificed, and that they did things quietly that I don't do. Yeah. And I simply was not sacrificing. I still thought I'd love them more than you possibly love. But when you look objectively at your own behavior, you know, I wasn't doing things that you should do. You know, I would like, slip off and go to a bar or party rather than being with them in a difficult time. These sorts of things. It's not sure. like hitting or beating them. It's not that. It's just not being there. Right, and so that's what my sister said. My sister and I have always been as close. As she's been to any, you know, any siblings, but she, you know, she said at the same time, my eldest daughter is very well trained in psychology, and this was almost twenty years ago. They they said, "Well, you're great as a brother. You're great at this and that, and the other thing as a father, but you're not there." Mm -hmm. Meaning, there's an emptiness there. There's an emotional disconnect, and they had sensed this lack of emotional empathy, that lack of connectedness. So I, I know what you're supposed to do, but it's not there. So when I when I said, and I wrote in the book, it was true, or when I said to people that I don't think I love, you know, my family, the kids and everything, the way other people do. Not because how I feel, mm -hmm. but it's I look objectively at the behavior. I'm watching people do things. I don't do those things. Right. And that's the point. Yeah. I guess that, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, because it's, it's interesting because in some ways you have a unique outlook that typically you don't get because most people don't know that they're in a situation that, that you're in. Like right. they don't know that they have this. The, yeah. the, the, and, and if you don't know it, then you can't feel it. Like, I don't know what it's like to be anybody else. That's right. You know, I only know how my brain works. Um, and I think everyone must think like that. And then you slowly start to learn, like, no one reacts, like, to this or to that, like, the way you do. And you're like, oh, okay, well, then there, I must be different, or there's something... Well, I'm, tr I'm trained in the stuff, Yeah. and I have independent, unexpected biological markers. Right. The brain imaging, and then the genetics, uh, and then uh, it being psychologically analyzed. And, yeah. And that was the, that was a, a key, because... The psychiatrists and psychologists I know and I've talked to and then who analyze me, it's 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 basically this. It was summarized by one of the psychiatrists who said in the summary report, he said, This is somebody who has all the thoughts and the dreams and the urges of a full blown psychopath. Mm -hmm. And he simply doesn't act them out. And he said, I've never <laughs> seen this before in anybody, but he doesn't act any of it out. And I don't. But well, everything that's you know, when you said what what's your mentation and everything, it's all there. Yeah. And all the urges and crazy stuff. 
And uh, and you can see that I probably some of the paintings. I got all these evil clowns all over the place. Yeah, there's one evil everything. clown right behind you. I love you, them. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, and. And, and the things that I like, but also all those urges and wild, you know, really wacky dreams that would I think would maybe scare people. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody. I'd be people. I've, I'd be, yeah, I'd got be the stuff. It, but yeah. uh, you see, I was completely psychopathic and just. And I've got like the cleanest record. I've got, you know, my background, uh, no arrest, no uh, perfect credit, and I don't do things. People are, you well, know. Well, yeah, but you could be smart enough to get away with it. Well, you're you're telling. Yeah. I got to take you at your word that you're not doing any of this stuff. But you seem well, like well, a guy no, who's smart thing, enough to get away well, with yeah, it. Well, yeah, I I could, but I'll, well, I'll tell you the, you know, all time times growing up through you know high school and college and beyond that, I would get people to do things with me that were that were probably illegal murder uh not murder no not murder not rape <laughs> i don't you know it's just it's just getting people to do things that they don't wouldn't normally want to do mm-hmm. and um and and talking them into it that is owning them mm-hmm. but not to do anything really bad but sometimes i mean when we were younger they'd steal a car but then we'd end up returning it with the gas tank full and the thing simonized you know? right uh and so all these these things that i would do that it never Nobody got hurt, and I never intended for it to get hurt. But they, some things were illegal. But back at that time, mm-hmm. I mean, a bunch of explosives blowing shit up and everything. Mm-hmm. But at that time, in that culture, they just thought I was like, a, you know, he just likes chemical engineering, which is true. Right. He likes, you know. Sure. And so you could get away with it. So if I did that stuff now, I'd absolutely be in prison. Right. But at the time, that's the context <laughs> dependence of this stuff. Uh, it was just being rambunctious. And I was class yeah. clown. So I did those things. And I get people to do things. So I can kind of own them, but yeah. I don't. I have no interest in killing or harming anybody, hurting yeah. them, or in you know sexually. You know, I just never do that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite normal with all those things, but I still want to manipulate and own people, their their mind for a moment or ten minutes, an hour, three hours. Right. That's it. That's psychopathic. Yeah, that is. Psychopathic. Even though it's not, you don't get hurt really. Right, not really. But you walk away going, he he got me. Yeah, he owned me there for an hour. Or, day and he yeah. got me to do that and thing. i got a plot of revenge and it's a whole big and then, it's a then, whole then thing. we have a real then we have real fun with yeah it. then it's yeah. a whole thing well now you mentioned some really fun things in your book i want to see because you've talked about your history i mean your history is amazing how you kind of stumbled across um you've, you've talked about it you know in, in a bunch of different stuff i'll put links to it just so we don't have to retread stuff you've talked about a million times but you've got quite an incredible history how you came about all this but i think there's a couple things in your past you know i, I much like you know, a, a treasure hunter looks at a map to find hidden treasure. I yeah. think I've found the source of your psychopathy. Now, it may be, you know, it's nature, obviously, as you've mentioned. It's how the brain's structured. But also, there's a couple other things here. Um, you were entered into a national toddler baby contest when you were a right. toddler, obviously. Yeah. I hope you were. How, did that, I, I imagine being put into the pageant world that early must have done some permanent damage. You think this is a root cause? Well, what, you know, as a kid, I mean, I look like an all-night poker game, you know, right now. But you when do. I was a kid, you do look exactly like you just spent all night playing poker. But at a time, you know, when <laughs> when I was a kid, everybody thought I was so beautiful, uh-huh. you know, just this beautiful kid, uh-huh. that I was put in, you know, like these contests. I was a beautiful child in the world and everything, and that's what. <laughs> but in, you know, kind of almost independent of that, when I even mentioned that, there was a, a couple of psychiatrists in, in in San Francisco who told them. This is back when I first wrote, I think, first wrote the book. And they go, mm-hmm. we got to talk to this guy because he's one of these um, indigo kids. Mm-hmm. So they, so there's this group of psychologists, psychiatrists said that Fallon is he's one of these indigo kids. And that's, uh, but I, 
was always probably treated somewhat in a peculiar way. But yeah, and in, in all through high school, was you know really good looking, athletic, smart, popular. Everybody, you know, really was very popular all the way through high school, graduate school, everything. And um, were you doing pageants this whole time? No, 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 no. But it was what I did. Well, what um, and did you what, place? What did you place in the toddler contest? What place were you? Of most beautiful. Oh, I, I, I was world. I was like a top two, three, four, or five. You know, really? I, was, I was up there. Yeah. Okay. And, and a finalist. Uh, you were a top toddler I, finalist. Yeah, but it, you know, it's that's impressive though. Yeah, do, you, do you tell I, anyone I this? Hmm? Do you tell anyone this? Is this no, go on no, your no, 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 no? It's just a funny family story. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. Just a, wow. And and uh, but all all through my life, I was just even though I had these things like you know OCD, and I and I and then panic attacks. And had asthma. I was always, you know, you're a pretty good athlete. I was okay, mm-hmm. and, and I was always busy and constantly going, and just just a very popular person all the way through all the schools. But I, you know, I found out that my mother had talked to my teachers when I was in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. She was a teacher herself. Well, my, you know, my aunts were. And they said you got to keep this guy busy because if he doesn't stay really busy with sports and all these activities nonstop, he's going to get into trouble. And she saw it. Body uh, count. Body count. And yeah. uh, so I was constantly busy, and and mm. I think that helped me because I'm pretty good at a lot of things. Mm. You know, you, you be in bands. Oh, you're a musician. You got to yeah. be in art. You know, so you do art. You do yeah. do acting. It's on and on and on. And um, so in a way that helped me become a really sort of you know, I'm not number one in anything, but I'm, you know, I'm number 10 in a lot of things, which is, you know, it's like a sort of a diverse life. But I think that's mostly from my, my mother seeing a potential problem starting when I was, a, you know, starting puberty. And her 10, she saw the darkness coming. <laughs> well, I would say, I mean, I would say you are probably the top neuroscientist, psychopathic neuroscientist. You're the guy. If you're looking for a psychopath, there's also a neuroscientist. I'm not the biggest jerk, but I may be the most. That's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, you're I'm, number one. I'm, I'm a top uh, top ten. I'm a top ten psychopath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're the well, and, and your mom. Your mom seems very intuitive. And is this because she has Albert Einstein's autograph? You know. Oh, you know about that. Oh, that. That's what drove us crazy. She was so full of it. Um, yeah. And she just died. She just about oh, I'm sorry. 102. No, I mean, oh, she wanted God. to go. We tried to. Uh, and and so she, yeah, she just died. What a fantastic uh, yeah. She was she was great. Really very smart, and uh, but she would just so bold. She would just go up to anybody, and, and she wasn't impressed if you were president or and she went up to all these people on the street too. She was just full of it. Uh, but she uh, was in the in New York when Einstein was there with his mistress, who became his wife. Hey-o. And she goes running up and you know kind of grabbed him and and she has one of the I think one of the few autographs she got. And the and the, 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 the meanwhile he's trying to keep it quiet because he's got his mistress hanging around and she's like running so up going, to him. No, she goes no no no. <laughs> but she had a very endearing way about her, so he yeah. goes no no no. I'll give you and you know kind of give her a hug and everything. Yeah. And then she loses the autograph. And but oh come on, really? I swear to God, this is, we never have forgiven her for this, right? That's ins- this is a very rare thing. So she so loses she was, this thing. That I can't I can't believe she lost Albert Einstein's autograph. Oh yeah, yeah. That's. What was it on? Like a cocktail napkin? They, they, did, they never forgave her either. Hmm? Was it on like a cocktail napkin or what did she have signed? Well, she, had a piece of, you know, she had a piece of paper. Yeah. It, was a cocktail, it was just a piece of paper and she was like 16 or 15, something like that. You know, but she would go up just about to anybody and um, and she always tried to get 
George Carlin was a family friend from years and years ago. Ah, I that of course. And um, and my aunt lived in his room, and so mm-hmm. when they were back, she went to like they Columbia were married University. and he lived in a room, or she was well. They well, he was brought up in the room. And Mary, you know, yeah, Mary Carlin, the mother. But when my aunt Flo was uh, going to Columbia, and you have an actual aunt Flo, that is not a joke. You have uh, an aunt Flo, Ferenzi, and she comes into town, right? Yeah, she comes into town, and (laughs) and so yeah, and and so she was looking for a place to live, and and she went into the Carlin apartments and said, "Yeah, well, my son is George. He's a comedian. He's out in the road, so you can use his room." Mm. So for years we've been friends with him. But my my mother spent forty years. Trying to convince George Carlin every time we'd see him, said George, you're funny without all the swearing. Just stop. She tried to get him to stop swearing. <laughs> George Carlin, Carlin. Thought, <laughs> he was he just would crack up. He said you're such a good boy and you're very funny without all the swearing. He loved to hear this because it was just that's amazing. It was like Jenny, it's the it's part of it. It's the it's, language. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. She, she's no no no. You're funny without. Oh, that, that is So hilarious. she would just she harassed him for most of the you know uh, his life. You know, yeah. well when we knew them from the you know the sixties on. But I at least she didn't was, convince him because he'd be a much different comic with. <laughs> oh yeah, no, but he yeah, he got the joke. So he he was friends with our family, and, yeah. and he'd always call me to come up and kind of beta test his acts in these little places up <laughs> in L.A. Yeah, and he you know, and I get the call the next day, Jim. What did they? What were they saying? Because he'd say, "Well, sit next to this table of middle-aged women, and then mm. sit next to the table of these black young guys. Mm-hmm. That, you know, all these different just getting groups. the demos, seeing what they just felt. get. Yeah. yeah, you get the response." And he was, I mean, it was just too much. Very serious, brilliant guy. Yeah. But also, you know, and he'd call here, but it was at a time we had a regular phone with an answering machine. A rotary. And we'd have, a, yeah, well, with an answering machine, though. Yeah. It was like a, and, and he'd tape. call up, and, and I'd have like a, like some guests. We'd have like a dinner party, and, and yeah. George would call in. Uh, Jim, 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 I'm going crazy. And they call in, who is that? And I, I couldn't even tell them. And then finally told them later, you know, when people would, Ask who's the guy that was calling, saying, "Who I'm going crazy?" Since George Carlin, say you got to be kidding. But uh, I, I set him up with doctors down here because he didn't like to be up in L.A. Yeah. So he wanted secrecy, and I was yeah. So I was able to get a lot of provided secret it help him. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he was always worried he was getting Alzheimer's, like his mother. So I went going crazy again. <laughs> Jesus, what a uh, do his brain what scan. a card. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, so let me ask you one other question before we go, because this one's really important. Did you really run the largest NFL betting pool in the nation? Is well, that true? Or was, one of the, that one seems of like these, hyperbolic. One of the psychologists who, um, I, I started what you could call a discussion group or a blog when I went to San Diego. I was at UCSD doing my postdoc, and that was in 1975. You're an Aztec. And, uh, not San Diego State. Oh, not San Diego State. UC oh. San Diego down at uh, what they, What's the what's their mascot? It's a, like a loaf of white bread or something. <laughs> and so, but at any rate, when I was there, I had left my family in New York, but we all like to gamble on horses and the games and everything. So yeah. I started this weekly pool. Yeah. And it was a football pool, one page, and I'd make up the odds just to mess because I knew everybody's choices, and I'd push the odds just to mess with people's heads. Yeah. And it was, and this went Go on figure. for years, but it. That was only that was the superficial story, because yeah. under it were like usually twenty pages each week of people arguing about religion and politics, what's better, east or west. Right. This has gone on continuously to this day. It's a blog. It's got to be the longest running discussion group, like a blog. Yeah. 
40 years I've had this nonstop. Seven, since 1978. And so when this psychologist, he, he goes, what is this thing? I said, well, I said, it's a, f a football pool that's been going on, but it's also really a block to argue about, you know, regional fights and religion and politics. And, and so, and, he, and, and it involved a lot of people because it was all over the place. So it was very broad, but it wasn't a gambling thing. So we gambled. Mm. But the but but the, that was the cover story. We called right. it, it was a it was a it was the a football front. fold, but it was nothing. It was the front yeah. for something that would to this day much it's bigger. a bunch of people that and and I have a lot of people and it turned into an email thing. But I have all the copies of the originals, so I, I've got the printouts of all these crazy right. things. The same thing it is today. Now, is that in case they do something the wrong? You you have forty years of history to be no, able. No, to, they like, can get them. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Get, them. get them. But I, it's so. It, I mean, just hysterical. But it's in you know half the states of the union, so it's broad in terms of that way. But yeah, it, but it's 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 it's. When you said it was the biggest, it's big. I guess in that way, longest running and, and the biggest, but. But I, I have different records that are so absolutely absurdly meaningless. Yeah. Like I held the record in high, in college football yeah. for the most number of recovered recovered kickoffs, uh, so fumbles. So I was the kicker on the team. This was yeah. And so I had hurt myself at a funeral, my grandfather's funeral, uh -huh. and I didn't have time to stretch out. So I drove from New York up to UMass. Okay. And, and I ran on the field with all my gear, and I didn't have time to loosen up. So the so coach said, just take a couple of kicks for the kickoff. I kicked it and got a charley horse. So I couldn't even, I, I said, coach, I can't even move my leg. I can run, but I can't kick. Yeah. He goes, do an onside kick. I said, the opening kickoff's going to be onside <laughs> kick. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one will see it coming. <laughs> nobody, nobody will see it coming. <laughs> right. So opening kick, you know, yeah. Bill down, Belichick was your college spin, coach. Hit the top of it. I just, it was a perfect kick. These guys are like, they couldn't even believe it. I ran down the kicker and recovered the fumble. We went down and got a touchdown. It's brilliant. And uh, did he go on to coach? That's Bill Belichick, is the yeah, coach. Bill yeah, Bill Belichick, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the grumpy old lobster boat captain. <laughs> I look great that. Jason Gay. And, and But anyway, so I had the next kickoff. So we're, we're leading after like 10 seconds, we're leaving yeah. <laughs> seven to nothing. And I get up again, and there's no way that I'm going to do this again. Yeah. And I get up and kick it. Same exact thing. Yeah, I recovered the fumble, and we got, so it's fourteen nothing. <laughs> These guys, two touchdowns that you, two that, touchdowns, yeah. and this was, and my coach looked it up, and it was a record for years until he died. I don't even know if it's still a record. Yeah. It's probably tied with a hundred people. But yeah. I say you hold a collegiate record for for that. But by the third time I got up, because I was playing on defense too. Yeah. They were going, the guy, you know, one of the defensive... He couldn't possibly do it three no, times. Going, I saw him, he's limping, he can't kick. So they put everybody up in front. Yeah. And that just tried to kill me the rest of the game. It right. broke my jaw and everything. They were pissed, but we won 14 nothing. Right. <laughs> so I have all these There's kind of There's nothing meaningless about that Nothing. No, no, no. So I, I do have these absolutely... Uh, worthless, quirky, stupid uh, sort of records, if you will. Do you have another one? Do you have another there other Besides being the number well, one neuroscience psychologist? They're, they're bad sex stories, so I, but, I can't even mention them, but there are a couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Um, you know, I don't know what people are going to remember you more if for two onside kicks return for a touchdown or your years of work as a neuroscientist. Uh, I don't know what's going to work, but... Um, so, you know, they're hearing all these stories. How can people get in touch with you and maybe either figure out how to test themselves or to test a loved one? Um, and where can they get your incredible book called The Psychopath Inside? Uh, subtitle is... That's your cue. Neuroscience 
journey into the dark side of the brain. Into the dark side of the brain. How can people get the book, which, uh, as far as I know, I've read it in five or six different languages now. It's translated all over the world. How can people get in touch with you and get the book? Well, they can get in touch with me by my email, which mm -hmm. I've had since... 1982. It, uh, it's Was this an <laughs> We were one of the test spots for. for Get out of here! Yeah, yeah. So that's so another record you have. Is like the. Well, I thought I wished I just put Jim at UCI instead yeah. of put Jay Fallon at uci.edu. Uh -huh. And so I've had that forever. I don't answer my phone, but I try to answer messages as long as I'm not, you know overseas because I do a lot of traveling and everything. Mm -hmm. And the book, they it, it's. It has been sold out. the The hard, you know, cover has been sold out. There's soft cover that you can find some places, but you can get the audio book. And there is some, there are some soft covers for sale. Mm -hmm. I know this because I'm receiving, you know, checks for for these still. <laughs> so they must be selling on Amazon and and there's some some other places. Yeah. And um, but you said yeah, there's nine languages. So depending on what they speak, and. It's it's funny. I'm better known actually because uh -huh. no, who knows neuroscientists. I'm yeah. better known in Europe because I can go through every airport in Europe and yeah. somebody come up to me and ask me for an autograph. They know who I am. Here. Really? Here, they who cares, right? But they do because it's uh, because I think this is new for them. Yeah. This whole psychopathy thing and treating it this way, so it's all fresh. So it's, there's more sort of excitement on it. So and they know you as Jim Fallon. They don't come up and say because you got like the beard going on. They don't say like, "Hey, George R. R. Martin, can you sign my Game of Thrones <laughs> book or anything?" <laughs> it's what they say, Jim yeah. Fallon. Yeah. No, no, no. They know who I am. So oh, okay. and, and it's and and it's most of the people who contact me, as it turns out, are millennial or Gen Y. I guess they're now you know Gen a, Z. A lot of Gen Z, whatever. And but a lot of. Uh, like 16 to 30 year old women mm -hmm. and they're either doing a they're doing papers on it you mm -hmm. know, or a group of them and right. they'll skype me and to to help them you know orient them on, on this stuff but those kids i mean they say millennials or gen z are not too smart i mean the ones that contact me are pretty brilliant <laughs> i mean they're just incredible yeah and and there's a certain one percent that's smart in every generation I'm, yeah right yeah so you're getting you're getting the top <laughs> yeah no they're really bright and they've read up and it's just amazing one is a, a, a very wealthy gal who came here she wanted to meet me personally from china uh-huh and in paola yeah well she came and she says, everybody knows you in China. So hmm. She started, she was talking, she was crying. I'm like, what is going on? I, but outside of the United States, there's more because this is the first time they're seeing psychiatry in this way, biological psychiatry, personalities in this way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why, you know, mm -hmm. it's the... Uh, but anyway, that's, that's how I can be contacted. The book, you know, get it on Amazon. I think I have the only hard copies in English. <laughs> Which I'm going to try to give you. I'm going to see if I have one for you. You should sign it, sign it and then um, see what you can get for it. See if you can maybe, uh, who knows, God knows what you can get for those things now. They're incredible. Well, they, yeah, they were twenty three ninety five. I could probably, I could probably get 20 bucks. I could, yeah, absolutely. At least a saw buck. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, well, that's incredible. I love all this stuff on the website as well. Um, Thaddeus J. Whoopi, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. You might know him as Dr. James Fallon, Jimmy Jam, as his friends know him. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. 
Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to learn more about the show. You can follow the newsletter, get all the behind the scenes, check out upcoming episodes. You can also on the website check out the previous episodes. The entire archive is there for you to check out information on all the guests, additional videos and, and uh, you know social media for all the guests. You can find the, everything there under the guest section. You can also follow the show, Fascinating Nouns, on social media. Scroll to the bottom and you can find links to the show's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, all at the bottom of the page. And you can also obviously follow the show on all the podcast, uh, the great podcast sources. We got Google Play, we got TuneIn, iTunes, Stitcher, all at the bottom of the page. And if you like this show, you may love everything that I do, including my latest podcast called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, where we take pop culture technology, team of scientists, and tell you how to make this stuff in real life. We got the Everlasting Gobstopper, the T-1000. We got Acme products from Wiley Coyote, uh, big, huge battle mechs. We got everything going on. Check it out, FGGBT.com. That's F triplegbt.com one more time fgbt.com check it out there and if you like that show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to check out all of my projects thank you for listening end of transmission